following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. All my life was full of when Jesus found me All my heart was full of misery and woe Jesus placed his strong and loving arms around me And he led me in the way I ought to go No one ever cared for me like Jesus, there's no other friend so strong as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. from me 
Here's the problem. All of Scripture tells us how fabulous the love of God is, that He loves us with unending love, that His love has been poured out for us. And we all know this. Then why is there such Worldly, worldliness among us? Why is there such a lack of the real presence of God? Why, when we pray, are our prayers not answered? It's very few men or women that I know that can go into the prayer closet and touch the throne of God and see a change in the physical realm. I've struggled with this question all my life, and and in college, and in seminary, and later, people would say to me, Ray, why don't you just relax and enjoy the ride? I can't do that. There's so much more God wants to give us, and the, and the men and women all around us are going to hell, walking in incredible wickedness, walking hopeless before God. No power of God moving in their life. There has to be a change. There has to be a standard of righteousness lifted up over this city and this nation. And there has to be the fullness and the moving of God to bring the reality that this is not our home. We're here but for a short time. And then we're headed toward heaven. One of the passages of Scripture that I've just been reading and praying over, Psalm 36. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God. There's no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. That's what's happening today. No fear of God and great flattery of self, pride. And it causes men and women to be unable to detect the sin of their own hearts. And then we have the preaching constantly, God is love, God is love, God is love, and he is love. But he's also just and righteous and holy. 
and will not tolerate wickedness before him will bring judgment on it. And so I have struggled with this question of righteousness and holiness. You know, if you've listened to this broadcast very long, we've spoken much of both. The word says, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Hebrews. Without holiness. It seems to me that one of the things that has to change is this element of faith. So that when men and women come before God with honesty, things happen. But we have for so many years thrust ourselves out in our own plans, in our own ideas. We've thrust ourselves out for money and for pleasure and for recognition and for what you name it. And the word faith has become so cheap. Worldly faith has taken over. Worldly faith says, just decide what you want, name it, and claim it. I can't tell you how many pastors I've heard who who say, if you want that new car, get a picture of it and put it up on your refrigerator and every day affirm that that car is yours and you will force the spirit realm to give it to you. Creflo Dollar. I could name many such pastors who, who walk in worldly faith. There has to be some change. And I've gone back and I've looked at, a, at an example in the scriptures that cuts right at the heart of what I'm trying to talk about. The children of Israel were in slavery 400 years. Imagine 400 years of your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-grand... They'd all been slaves. The children of Israel were slaves in Egypt under back-breaking work 400 years. That's much longer than the United States has been in existence. Their only memories were of slave labor. Little boys grew up, little girls grew up understanding they would be slaves. There was no other option. It was be a slave or get beaten and killed. God heard their cry and he answered the promise he'd made to Abraham and he sent Moses to bring them out of that dark, dark place to bring them to a land of Canaan a place flowing with milk and honey. They saw the miraculous hand of God move and deliver them from the Egyptians. They saw Egypt literally ripped to shreds financially and physically. And finally, the Pharaoh said, leave. And they left. 
But God did not take them the short way because they weren't prepared to stand up for themselves yet. They would have had to have faced the Philistines. God took them instead by the long way on the way to Mount Sinai. On the way they had to cross the Red Sea. And in so doing, they saw the waters part when Moses lifted his staff. They saw the cloud that accompanied them to give them shade in that hot burning desert. They saw the pillar of fire by night. They saw all of the evidence that God was real. They saw his judgments come upon them when they built the golden calves. They saw how many died. When they cried out to God for water, he gave them water. Whatever they needed, food will send tons and tons of manna, bread from heaven, shipped down during the night. Now finally, they came to the promised land. And in Numbers, the 14th chapter, the spies have gone forth they've looked over the land they've come back and they brought a bad report it may have been an honest report and no doubt was a very honest report from a physical perspective but they only saw themselves they did not see God even though God's hand was right there in the cloud by day and the fire by night. They had seen every evidence that God was who he said he was. But now they hear there are sons of Anak or giants, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. They all live in this land. But Caleb had a different spirit. He stood up and he silenced the people and he said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours the living in it. All the people we saw there of giant size. We even saw the Nephilim. Well, the report, while being accurate in the physical realm, totally denies the reality of God. Totally denies the reality of God. And of course, we're faced with that same question how many times when... Suddenly, circumstances change, and you're faced with an incurable disease. Man does everything he can and grows bitter and hopeless, angry. 
You have to move from the house you're in. Well, where are we going to go? We're going to be wiped out. You lose your job. It's hopeless. I can't do anything about it. I can't. And you try and try and try to get a new job, and you can't get a new job. How many times in my life I have faced the absolute impossible. These people, through all this wilderness journey, have not yet learned one simple lesson. And that is that God specializes in the impossible. But I want to share with you the conditions under which God will step in and make a change. It's called faith. Now, I have to tell you, I have struggled to try to understand what faith is all of my life. And I've been told many, many things that were not true about faith. I've been told that faith is a power. And that if you'll speak the word of faith, it'll happen for you. No, it won't. remember when my late wife was dying of cancer. I'd get phone calls from national organizations and from others who would say, Pastor, stand in faith. Just believe that God's going to do it and he's going to heal her. Pray, believe, and God will do it. He let her die. He let her die. How was I to deal with that? Faith didn't work. And then those same people who told me about faith said, Pastor, your faith was not strong enough. Get out of here, you wretched people. You, you ugly people who who speak out of superstition and witchcraft. That's not biblical faith. I want to show you today what biblical faith is. I want you to understand what it's going to cost and what it will do. The Lord God only spoke one word, one rhema word to me during this time. I had a dear brother with me and we were praying and standing and fasting for Jan's healing. And the Lord very quietly said to me, you're too big for me to heal Jan. I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know, I didn't know what to do with that. That was... That was talking about something I had no clue about. I didn't understand what he meant. Oh, I do today. I understand today, and I think after this broadcast, you're going to understand. Are you facing the impossible? Then listen carefully. And by the way, I'm facing the impossible in many different places. 
I'm facing the impossible in many different places. In the 14th chapter, the book of Numbers, In the 14th chapter of the book of Numbers, the children of Israel have just gotten the bad news that there are giants in the land and everyone lifted up their voices and wept aloud before God. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt. That is the response of every human person who wants something, who says, I'm going to have faith that I can have this, but when it becomes absolutely apparent that it's impossible for you to pull off, then hopelessness settles in and anger settles in. If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us up to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And many of you have prayed for something. And when you did not get the answer, you said, prayer is a sentimental deal, but it doesn't work. It's catharsis, but it doesn't work. It doesn't change anything. Now, most of you would not be bold enough to say that out loud, but you believe that inside. Hence, many of you pray almost none at all. You simply don't pray. You might say a sentimental prayer. You might even pray publicly and eloquently so people will think well of you. But in your own private world, you don't pray because you don't believe anything's going to happen by your praying. You've tried it. It didn't work. You're not going to be a fool. They're ready to go back to Egypt. After they've seen all of the hand of God move on their behalf time after time after time. They have, they have experienced miraculous power. The cloud of covering during the day for coolness and the fire by night. The water from the rock, the manna every day, their clothes not wearing out. They've seen the power of God. And finally the Lord comes. And he says, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? I will strike them down with the plague and destroy them but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Oh, I understand the Lord's heart here. He has had it with them. 
Moses intervenes. He pleads with God to forgive them. And God forgives them. And then he says, but not one of these men, age 20 or older, who has grumbled against me will see the promised land. And so now the children of Israel are turned back into the desert. And there they die. One by one, their bones bleach in the sun of that desert. Until everyone has died. You really have two choices. Either believe the word of God and act upon it. Or die in the desert. It's that stark. Some of you have gone through such anguish and pain physically, emotionally. You've been beat up. You cry out to God and there's no answer. You say, what am I to do? Well, I'm going to give you a very simple principle. Faith finds out the divine plan of God and then lives and acts and works according to that plan. In other words, because I want something and I say I will stand by faith for that does not have any bearing on what God is going to do or not do. Instead, I must pray and find out what God's will is regarding this situation. And then when I find out what God's will is regarding this situation, then I act on what is revealed to me as the divine will or divine plan of God. Now let me walk you through a preparation to do what I've just told you about. In Joshua, the fifth chapter, They have come out of the desert. They have crossed the Jordan River, having it dried up before them. Even as their parents had the Red Sea dried up before them, they cross over on dry land. And in chapter 5 of Joshua, he begins to describe then the direction of the Lord. And it is to make flint knives and circumcise all of the Israelites again, all the men. Why? Before you can have an answer from God that's a serious answer, he requires circumcision of the heart. This is a work done by Jesus in a person's heart where the old man is cut out and cut away and the sin is removed from your heart. This is a time of absolute dedication to God and to his will, not to your will. You see, we want God to bend to our will. No, we bend to God's will. 
Faith is only effective if it is involving us bending our will to God, that God's plan can come to pass. He is not interested in helping us get our agenda done. It's His agenda that must be gained. And we must understand what it is. So circumcision is necessary. Step number two. They celebrated the Passover. What is Passover? You remember when they were coming out of of Egypt before they left? They celebrated the Pesach, the Passover, meaning the wing of God. They deliberately, by the shedding of lamb's blood on their doorposts, came under the sheltering wing of God, and the death angel passed over their house and did not bring judgment upon them. Now let's be clear, it was God's judgment angel that passed over them. But it did not enter or harm anyone who was under the wing of God. One of the most vital lessons you can learn today, and if you don't know how, you need to go talk with people who do know how to come under the wing of God so that the enemy cannot touch you. Part of that coming under the wing of God must take place after I've been circumcised by by the Lord Jesus Christ, where my heart has been cut. And I've come into his presence and said, it's only your will, Lord. It's not my will. I'm not demanding anything of you. I remember my father talking about my aunt when she was a newborn she became very sick and she was dying my grandparents were very committed Christians very serious Christians Methodists and in the foolishness of their hearts they went before the Lord and demanded that he heal this little girl And he heard them. They were insistent and demanding. And he healed this little girl. Dad said, Raymond, I want you to learn a lesson. It would have been much better if my little sister had died as an infant. I said, Daddy, why do you say that? He said, because Eva grew up an absolute, destructive, angry, bitter, hostile little girl. The family was loving. Everything was done for her that could be done. But she went out and lived life in such a wicked manner. No righteousness in her life destroyed other people's lives. And it wasn't until Eva was on her deathbed that she finally surrendered to Jesus. 
And Dad said, Mom and Dad finally came to the conclusion that they were in error, pleading and demanding of God for the healing of that daughter, that it would have been better had she died as an infant and gone to heaven. She would have spared the world a great deal of anguish and pain. We thrust ourselves out and we make demands upon God to fulfill our desires. And sometimes he'll do that. I don't have time to talk about it today, but Peter, when he walked on the water, was one such example. He thrust himself out. God, he said, Lord, tell me to come. If that's you, if you're God, come, Peter, walk on the water. And he sank and almost drowned. It was a foolish part that he played, a painful part. Here they are. They've a circumcised heart. They have come to a place of coming under the wing of God. They are fully submitted to him. Now, Joshua goes walking by himself. I suspect he couldn't sleep. I suspect it was in the early hours of the morning. And he comes walking in the shadows to look at this great city of Jericho, all closed up. 40-plus foot walls, impregnable, locked up tight. The walls are so thick, there are houses built into the walls. This is impossible. There's no human way he with his army can take this city. So he comes walking in the shadows, And suddenly he sees a man. And instead of pulling back in fear, this man has a sword drawn. Joshua walks up to him. And he asks him the key question. Are you for us or for our enemies? Let's declare ourselves. The answer comes back. Neither. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come now. And Joshua falls face down on the ground in reverence. Now, let's look at this. Joshua has come to look at this great city of Jericho. And by the way, Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world. many, many years before this. Jericho had been built, probably pre-flood. And now Joshua comes and he's looking up at these impossible walls. And he has to say in his heart, 
I have no way to pierce these walls. It is impossible. Now, please, for faith to work, you first have to have your heart circumcised by Jesus. Secondly, you have to come under his wing. In other words, you come to an utter end of all of your resources and all of your abilities, all of your ideas, all of your ambitions. You come to a place where you say, this is hopeless to me. I cannot do anything here. As long as you think that you still have some strategies to employ or deploy, as long as you still imagine that if you work hard and God will just help you a little bit, you can do this, then faith will not function for you. Faith only functions in the realm of the human heart when the human heart has come utterly to an end of itself and there is no possibility of life or rescue. All is hopeless. Hopeless. You cannot do it. Now, this is an utterly, this is an utterly broken place before Almighty God. It's a place where if God does not come and move, all is lost. This is where faith can begin to function. This is where This is where I've come to. I can't bring revival to Washington, D.C. or to America. I have no power to do that. It takes all I have to come week by week, day by day, and proclaim the gospel to you and speak the truth and not compromise it with you, even though I know many of you are uncomfortable with my speaking such raw, unvarnished words. But somewhere we have to stop the church game, stop the entertainment, stop the worldliness, stop the foolish concerts. Somewhere we have to stop and say we're not getting the job done. The city stands impregnable before us. How many times I've gone downtown and I've walked the mall and I've said this town I have no ability to break it open how many times I've watched all the big name people come to this city and hold their rallies and their million man marches or whatever they want to do and they put their finger in the water and then they leave and they bring their finger out of the water and it's as though they were never here. There's no change. There's no revival. There's no presence of God. Now I'm confessing publicly before you I cannot bring revival to Washington, D.C. I cannot change this city. I have 
stood looking at this city now for 50 plus years. I can't crack it. Oh, I could have built a great church in this city. It doesn't take that much to build a church in Washington, D.C. if you're simply willing to bring the world into your church. If you're willing to self-promote, you've got a big idea that's humanistic and it's cloaked in religion and there you go. You bring in your big name speakers, you do your marketing, you have your programs established, you get your finances in place. It works. Countless times it's worked in this city. But the city remains unchanged. You've done much good, perhaps, with individuals in the city, the poor, the homeless, or others that you have designated as the target of your ministry, but you've really not touched the homeless of this city. You've really not done the work of the gospel in this city. Not the way the Apostle Paul did. Not the way Peter did. Not the way Jesus did. I stand and look at this city, I think the way probably Joshua stood and looked at this city of Jericho. I stood and looked at my late wife as she died of cancer. She was dying of cancer. And I looked at her sickness and it was impossible for me to do anything to save her. And slowly the cancer ate away in her body. And I saw her slipping away from me. I saw the cancer coming between us and it ripped my heart out. There was nothing I could do. We have to understand that faith does not work as long as we think we can do something. And when we have not had our hearts circumcised by Jesus, we're not, we're not under the wing of God. We're, we're grabbing at everything we can grab at, and nothing works. We try whatever protocol the latest one is, doesn't work. So here we find Joshua looking up at Jericho. And suddenly this man comes. And he says, I'm not for you and I'm not against you. Do you understand? He's not for Joshua's program. He comes as the commander of the army of the Lord. This is the Lord's program, not Joshua's. Joshua had to learn that right up front. He falls face down on the ground. That's a wonderful act for Joshua. But it's not adequate. Simply to go through some religious exercise is not enough. 
Joshua says, What message does my Lord have for his servant? He knew this was God. This was Jesus before him. And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. Until you deal with this issue of holiness, the Lord will not reveal his plan to you. He wants you to take some specific, concrete action that will say to God, Yes, I am hopeless. I can't change it, but I'm going to trust you. My eyes are upon you. So Joshua takes off his shoes. He is a servant, not a master. And then the Lord begins to lay out the plan for taking this great city of Jericho. And it's a plan that any military commander would have laughed at. It has no physical reality that will make any difference according to the heart of man. But suddenly Joshua is having laid out for him march around the city seven days in a row. On the seventh day, go seven times around them and shout and blow the trumpet and the walls will come tumbling down. And that's exactly what happened. Now, please, I'm not playing games. Some of you are in a very desperate place. And I ask you, Have you honestly let God have total control of your life? Have you given everything into his hand? Have you unconditionally surrendered your heart and your life to God and to his plans? Have you put away ambition? Have you put away your dreams? Have you put away everything? And now are you willing to let Jesus circumcise your heart and come in and make of you a holy man or a holy woman? Have you turned aside from everything that is of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and have you come under the wing, the pasach of God? And now are you clear that you will never again rescue yourself that you will receive from God's hand exactly what he wants to give you and nothing else. And now are you willing to come into the presence of Jesus and take the position of a servant and ask him to reveal to you his plan Now, it doesn't matter whether you're going to like the plan he reveals to you or not. Because now you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You have made an utter commitment to follow Jesus. You will not follow your own will or your own desires. You will serve Jesus with all of your heart, regardless of what that costs you. 
Have you gotten small enough that God can hear you? And that you don't flatter yourself too much to detect your own sin. But you've allowed the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And now do you know what God's plan is for that wife or that husband or those children? Do you know what God's plan is for the job he wants you to be in in order to be able to serve him and bring honor and glory to his name? Do you know what the plan of God is for your job? Or are you still demanding it has to be your way? Are you willing to turn over to God? That child, that husband, that wife. Are you willing to humble your heart before God and hear what his plan is? And when you finally hear clearly a rhema word of God, a breathed word of God in your spirit, or from the scriptures, a logos word, or from a friend speaking, and you know it's the Lord speaking through them, and you get very clear, this is the Lord's will. You know without any doubt in your heart, this is God's will. This is what he said he wants to have happen. Now are you willing to give yourselves utterly and completely to this divine plan, whether you like it or not? And will you live and act and work according to this plan to bring about what God has said he wants to bring about in your life or in your situation or in this city? The last word of God to me was, wait upon the Lord and I will carry you through. The Lord will carry you through. Rest in me, Ray. That's what I'm doing now. I'm waiting upon God to reveal to me the plan for revival in Washington, D.C. And if I die waiting for that plan, it's okay. I'm at peace with that. If he reveals it to me and shows me the steps to take, I will immediately take those steps, regardless of the personal cost. Can you say the same? Have you utterly, totally, and completely laid your life down? And have you taken very specific actions that tell God that you're serious about him? Have you said, turn the television off? Have you turned it off? Have you done what the Holy Spirit has told you to do? Have you cut off the things that had to be cut off? That's the circumcision of the heart. Are you willing to trust Jesus? Faith works, but not flesh faith. Faith works according to the plan of God. And you have to know what God's plan is if you're going to cooperate and pray in faith and have it come to pass. Any other kind of faith is witchcraft and does not please the Lord. Everyone in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, who is identified as a person of faith, heard God's plan 
and operated according to it. Almighty God, I just come together with brother and sister as they've listened to this message on faith. And I ask, Lord, that you would reveal to them your will regarding their situation. Would you share with them the plan so that they can stand by faith in that plan that you've outlined and see you bring it to pass? For the battle belongs to the Lord. In the name of Jesus. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. I've been getting letters, sharing testimonies. Thank you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you'll find many, many messages available for you to listen and study. God bless you, my brother, my sister. Stand in faith, real faith. I'll talk to you soon.